Welcome to episode number 21 of the Hillcrest Duo. Today is February the 6th, 2016. The first podcast of February. And I am your host, Metal John, at Metal John Radio on Twitter. Joined with me, as always, the Brad Risto. I'm at Outsider Brad on Twitter. Follow me there. All right. We've got a lot to talk about on this podcast. Uh, coming up, we are going to talk about Supergirl. We're going to talk about The Flash. We're going to talk about Arrow in their latest episode, Unchained. We've got uh, a pretty big episode for you. We are going to talk Oscars. We're going to make our Oscar picks. But first... It's Coen Brothers weekend. New Coen Brothers film, Hail Caesar, open this weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, I figured it'd be nice to start off the podcast asking you what your favorite Coen Brothers movie is. You know, it's a really tough toss-up. They had the, that great run in the um, later 80s, early 90s of great four great films in a row. I think I'm going to have to go to the one that probably started that trend, and that's Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona, very nice. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I'm going with the obvious, which is The Big Lebowski. I think everybody loves The Big Lebowski. That's obvious, and, though. And that movie, though, didn't wasn't like a smash hit in the theaters. No, it really didn't pick up until it hit you know, DVD and, and, and everything, video. home yeah. video. But I did go see that on my birthday in 1998. I was taking classes at Second City in Chicago and wow. took the train down there on my birthday for a class and went and saw The Big Lebowski in, but, in the city. So weird yeah, how that I remember is, that. That is stuff. their um, a classic quirky comedy version. And of course, we, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention their other big, big, big one, and that's Fargo. Which 1996, of course, yep. Which, of course, now has its own television series. Yeah, I mean, Fargo's probably one of my favorite movies to watch in the wintertime. Oh, yeah. It's like, a it's a wintertime winter movie. Like, mm-hmm. when, when you are got a snow day, you can't leave the house. You're like, what do I watch? Uh, Fargo's one of my go-tos on that. Oh, the Shining, the, another good wintertime movie. You just got to love all the Minnesota accents. Oh, don't yeah. you know? Oh, Margie. Margie. Um, also, I, I mean... Their last really big smash hit that I loved was No Country for Old Men in 2007. Yeah. Um, great movie, one of the one of the best villains ever in film oh, history. Oh, oh, Javier yeah. Bordom. Yeah, oh, well, he's so just good. he plays better. No, but no one plays a better villain than him. So, Hell Caesar opened up. We went to go see it last yes, night. Yes, uh, we did. What was your What was your thought on it? You know, you can usually tell what kind of Coen Brothers film it's going to be in the first ten minutes. On this one, uh, it wasn't one of my favorites. I can honestly say that. It was a a paint-by-the-numbers comedy, and a lot of it seemed to be filler. Yep. Well, it is a February release. Normally, February release movies have a history of just not being very good. It's kind of like the studio just saying, we got to get this out. We we put all the money in it. Let's get it out. Let's try to make a few bucks on it. Mm -hmm. That's what everybody does in February. Most movies in February are not going to be great films that we're going to talk about in eight months from now. But I have a few homework analogies on this one. It's sort of like this movie was like... Um, they, this was Universal Studios picture, right? And I'm pretty sure they have a mm-hmm. contract with them. It's like, hey, um, uh, jo- it's like when your teacher said to you, you guys know you have um, an assignment due at the end of the week. Joel and Ethan looked at each other. Oh, crap. We got to get working on this. And that's what this sort of felt like because there is a very nice plot here, but it'd be like a 30-minute television show, and everything else is just them looking at – different movies and um, looking at the 1950s Hollywood, which was entertaining. I mean, the most entertaining sequence in this movie had nothing to do with the plot, and that was um, uh, Channing Tatum's musical number, No Dames. That was the most entertaining thing that happened, but it could have been completely cut from the film, and it wouldn't have affected the plot at all. Yeah, I mean, I think the best part about the movie, like you said, was 
all of the on studio backlot. Yes. Uh, you know, going from set to set, seeing different films being made. I thought that, that was the best part because it really. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like that that was the centerpiece of the movie, and then the the actual kidnapping and the of Maddox the actor and, and and all that was was basically the subplot, even though that was the real plot. Like I kind of feel the same way. Overall, I thought it was all right. It was, it was worth like a watch. I mean, yeah. there is nothing else out this weekend. It was, probably was the only option to go see. Um, I don't know if I want to see Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies because it's PG thirteen, and I just don't really think it's going to be that great. So I. I Going to avoid that one, I think, this weekend. Right, but um, it, it was a fun, fun. Uh, it was a fun film, but like you said, completely insubstantial. I will say this: I did enjoy George Clooney because he was just a completely vapid and shallow person, and that could easily be influenced. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on. The Oscars are coming up on February the 28th. It's the 88th Academy Awards. Uh, it's the only award show I care about is the Oscars. Chris Rock is going to be the host, and I think that's an excellent choice to have him come and host the show. Um, figure before we get into talking about Supergirl and, and The Flash and Arrow, we're going to make our Oscar picks since, uh, you know, the Oscars are coming up. We just want to get our picks out there. Get our thoughts out there. So let's let's go right through it. And you know what? We're going to start with the big one. Let's go with the best picture. We the got biggie. we got Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Reverend, Room, and Spotlight. Uh, Brad, who are you going with? I'm going to go with The Revenant. I'm going to give him go two for two for um uh, the director of this for best picture. Yeah, that I mean, excellent. I, I I'm going the same way. Uh, Honestly, I, this whole let's nominate eight movies, eight to ten movies, is really unnecessary yeah. because when I look at this list, I can tell you Reverend's going to win. The only movie that has a potential chance to upset it is Mad Max. Now, those are the, it's basically those two movies. Okay, that's it. Now there will have with we, an eighty twenty percent. Now we can um uh, we when we get to the next um uh, category, which is best actor, which I suppose we should get into right away, it's the same story. I mean, there's probably one actor who has an 80-20, but there's been a lot of um, uh, hoopla about Oscars so white. Maybe um, uh, you have a good idea here. Why even bother with eight nominations? Why bother with five nominations? You only make it three. Two. Make it two or three. Make it two or three because you because I mean, the, they only do this to get more viewership pretty oh, much. I but know. people that actually watch a lot of film and, and like myself who, who really – you know, I, I, I get it, and I know what's going on, and, and I've watched most of these movies, and I, I can tell just from watching who's going to win and who's got a good chance of coming in second place. Right. I like, mean, I realize they have to do it because they need the people to dress up because technically, I suppose you could say everyone is nominated because you submit your name, but this is the people who get invited. It's sort of like the Heisman Trophy show. But let, it, let us move on to Best Actor, and I yeah. suppose there's only really two people. My guess is the people who are really, really up for the award, despite the fact that there's five people. The two people up for it are Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio. Are you? Oh, I'm going to disagree with you on that one, but go ahead. But regardless, I'm going to go with Leonardo DiCaprio to win it. It is a combination of he had the best performance this year and sort of the Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah, uh, Leo, for sure, the Reverend, he's he's my lock to win, but I think the person that could upset him is Eddie Redman who is like one of those up-and-coming guys, and, and we're going to see him nominated every single time he's in a good movie. I, it's, and he's going to do one is. at least at least one good movie a year, probably. Yeah, I didn't see The Danish Girl, uh, and I don't think I ever will unless he wins, but he would probably be my second-place person. Uh, moving on to Actress in a Leading Role. I talked about this on my top 10 list when I went through top 10 movies of 2015. 
I already said who the lock of this one is, uh, but the nominees is going to be Kate Blanchett for Carol, Jennifer Lawrence Joy, Charlotte Rambling, 45 years, uh, and uh, Cerise Ronan, who also played Hannah. Remember Hannah? That was a great movie. Yeah, uh, she's in the movie Brooklyn. Uh, but the lock to win this without any chance for an upset is Brie Larson for Room. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I finally saw that, and she is Dude, just- Dude, isn't that an awesome she movie? She is just- Powerful in that, dude. I love that movie. Man. Just completely. The little kid was coach. great in it too. Oh, Jacob yeah. Tremblay. If you get a chance, you got to watch um, a video of him on YouTube. He won award. Um, was it the Golden Globe? I think he won the Golden Globe, or he won like a SAG award or something for best actor. And during his acceptance speech, he's like, "This is so cool. I'm going to put this trophy on my shelf right next to my Millennium Falcon." <laughs> Is that awesome? That's uh, that. That's where it belongs. You got to look it that belong, one up. It belongs next to the Millennium Falcon. All right. Actor in supporting role, we got Christian Bale for The Big Short, Tom Hardy for The Reverend, Mark Ruffalo for Spotlight, uh, Bridge of Spies, Mark Raylance, and Sylvester Stallone for Creed. And um, I think me and you both are in agreement here that Sylvester Stallone's going to win yeah, this one. Yeah, I mean, he had a very, very, very good performance. I mean, it's probably um, six of one, half a dozen of the other with a lot of these ones, but for the... Um, uh, uh, con- contribution that um, uh, Rocky um, uh, Balboa has had towards the um, art of cinema and what he's had towards the art of cinema, this is just sort of his Lifetime Achievement Award. They don't want to give him an official Lifetime Achievement Award, so they're going to say he did very, very well in this role, so let's give him the Best um, Supporting Actor um, Award and just move on. Yeah, and if you ask me, when I look at this category, this is one of the hardest ones. I mean, Stallone, I figure, is going to win, but uh, to be honest with you, I'm okay with any of these guys winning. Oh, yeah, I completely All of these movies were really good movies, and all these performances were great. I loved Christian Bale in The Big Short, the big heavy metal guy. Um, I loved Mark Ruffalo in Spotlight. I thought that was probably one of his best performances ever. Tom Hardy was great, but, you know, I don't even know. Tom Hardy really, his presence in The Reverend wasn't as, as strong or as you know it wasn't as memorable to be even getting a nomination yes. but you know the academy seems to love him and then yeah. marco reliance for bridge of spies man what a great performance probably the best part about the movie was his performance so but like we said while any one of these could win it what tips the um, scale and slides us favor is he hasn't won one and this is just such a big role yeah. for cinema this, this is it's his just, rocky moment right this here. is just the one where like Let's just tip the scales in his favor. He did great. Let's give it to him. And then uh, this is probably his last um, chance at winning an award anyway. Yeah, and a lot of people kind of talk, you know, a little bit about how, you know, a lot of African-Americans really didn't get nominated. It kind of pissed me off when when all that came out and all the, we're going to boycott the Oscars because black people aren't getting nominated. You know what? Michael B. Jordan was great in Creed. But did he even have a chance of winning if he would have been nominated? No. Leo, that's it's oh, his yeah. award. Um, but, you know, they, they act like... You know, all this boycott stuff, I mean, my response to Spike Lee is, you know what, if Chirac was actually a good movie, maybe you would have got a nomination. But Chirac was brutal. It was an awful movie. It was basically a stage play turned into like a weird music kind of thing, and and it really didn't work, if you ask me. I mean, it's... It's an adaptation of a stage play, and it was like the Romeo and Juliet remake with uh, Leo and and, uh, Claire Danes. It was brutal. It was like, oh, let's make this like a futuristic Romeo and Juliet. It was stupid. Anyways, moving on. Actress in supporting role, we got Rooney Mara for Carol. We got Rachel McAdams for Spotlight. We got Kate Winslet for Steve Jobs, and we got Jennifer Jason Leigh, Hateful Eight. Who are you going with on this one? You know, this one's really hard, but... You know, I'm going to go with Kate Winslet for Steve Jobs. I liked that her in that one. It was a good one. I realize I it's probably unlikely, but that's my pick. 
All right, I'm going Jennifer Jason Lee, Hateful Eight, which was my favorite movie of 2015. She was great in that movie, and she got her ass whooped in that movie a lot. So for getting punched in the face a couple of times, there you go. I think you um, get a, okay. I think a, you get an Oscar for that. And one. Next one is animated feature film. Do we even really need to um, discuss the other nominees? No, Inside Out. <laughs> Inside Out. I, I mean, Inside Out should have been one of the best pictures. I oh, mean, I would have I, I would have taken like. Maybe Bridge of Spies or Brooklyn out of that one, and I would have put Inside Out in there for a best Because Inside Out was just amazing. Yeah. Cinematography. Um, um, I'm going to give it – I'm going to think they're going to give their nod to um, Quentin Tarantino here, and I think it will gonna go, they're going to win it there. Yeah, the, the whole 70-millimeter thing was great. But Mad Max Fury Road, watch out for that one. I think it could win. Or if, you know, the Academy's just feeling generous, we could just see the reverence sweep and win this one and win just about everything they're nominated yeah, well, for. Well, I think um, uh, uh, Mad Max Fury Road will win one. Um, I don't know if you have, have a pick for the listen, but I think they're going to win for costume design. Uh, costume design's very possible, but I'm also thinking directing. I'm thinking this is going to be a coin flip between between Mad Max Fury Road, Fury Road and uh, Alejandro getting it for the Reverend, which well, would be crazy because that would be in directing. That would be two years in a row he would win directing and best picture. Um, I just don't see them doing that. I see them doing a split this year. I don't think they're going to. You think, you think George is going to get it for Mad Max? I think it's going to Mad Max. Okay, I, I think I'm going to stick with Reverend. I'm thinking this is going to be, uh, you know, history in the making here. But uh, we have um, three more we want to talk. At least I have three more I want to talk about. I want to just talk about visual effects because I think. Star Wars The Force Awakens needs to win at least one Oscar, and I think that's the one they're going to win for is Best Visual Effects. It's a small award, but let's just give um, Star Wars The Force Awakens their award, but let's move on to the two big remaining ones we have left, which is Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Original Screenplay. Um, uh, you adapted. have the nominees for Adapted. Yeah, Adapted. We got Big Short, Brooklyn, Carol, Martian, and Room, and Big Short. Without a doubt, I think that's a lock. I completely agree with you. That is um, uh, the best adapted screenplay. It was the most entertaining of all the adapted screenplays. I don't see any chance that any other um, film wins. Now, best original screenplay, we got Bridge of Spies, Ex Machina, Inside Out, Machina, uh, Inside Out, Spotlight, and Straight Outta Compton. Um, I think me and you are in agreement here that Inside Out should be the lock for this one. But I one think- of the best films of the year, I and and it should win. But with all the controversy, I, I have what? a feeling straight out of Compton's going to get it just out of, I, I hate for, to use the word sympathy because straight out of Compton was a really great oh, movie. Yeah. I loved that movie. I was entertained you know by what? that movie. But was it, did, does it stand a chance against some of these other movies? I mean, it wasn't even on my top 10 list. It wasn't on most critics top 10 list. And I don't I, want it to get a sympathy Oscar. I mean, if it doesn't deserve to win, it doesn't deserve to I, win. In my opinion, Inside Out should win. My t- I agree with you that Inside Out should win, but I think um, uh, um, Street Out of Compton would have been my number two had it not been for Inside Out. If Inside Out wasn't there, I think it would have won. And moving on to Supergirl. So episode 12 out of season one, Bizarro, aired on Monday, Brad. And, uh, wow, what a great episode. Probably one of the best Supergirl episodes we've yeah, had this season. Yeah, it was, a, f- it was, very, it was a, a very fun one as everything that has happened to this point started to pile on. And as you also saw throughout the episode, Kara's life kind of, personal life kind of fall apart. Yeah, they really seem to kind of rush her into that, whatever you want to call it, relationship. And then just... Pulled the plug right away. Yeah. It's like all in the same episode. She got her first kiss and she broke up with him in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this 
this black stuff that created Bizarro. Right. Uh, obviously, it magically turned a coma victim into a replica Supergirl. She basically awesome. has every single Supergirl power. But opposite. And Max has got to have more of this stuff, right? I would so think so. W- so w- I almost feel like he can create this again. Uh, army of bizarro Supergirls. Yeah. We, well, Wynn did find out that there was a total of six comatose girls that had been claimed by a company that Max owned. So this is one of six. Were the other five just test subjects that didn't work out or other five in five different rooms at Max headquarters that they're working on different projects Good with? point. So there's a couple uh, of things out there that... When uh, I was told about the five other ones, I'm like, oh, those were just the failures, and this is the culmination of all the um, research put into one. But the fact that there, I never thought that there could just be five other um, uh, Supergirl clones out there ready to wreak havoc on the poor people of National City. Yeah. Uh, the joke that Kara had about her alter ego sounding like the Cookie Monster, I didn't pick that up. <laughs> I don't think she really sounded like Cookie Monster. Cookie uh, starts with but, C. But, but I did I did thought it was kind of funny how Supergirl's getting her kiss with Adam, and all of a sudden, poof, she gets swooped up. Yeah. What do you think's going on in his head? He's like, whoa, I just got a kiss, and all of a sudden, this uh, Supergirl she exploded. just... She gone. This girl just exploded. Well, you didn't even see... He couldn't have seen Supergirl. I was just kissing her, and she disappeared. Yeah. Not again! No, no, no. But it would probably be very jarring, because especially probably because, you know, your tongue was probably doing something, and then, uh, what the hell? What the hell was that? Um, but if if Bizarro is so bad, what I don't understand is why she doesn't kill. Because uh, I, I look back at that scene where she grabbed Jimmy, she could just drop them, mm-hmm. and he's dead. Yep, dead. Why keep him alive? Well, because she doesn't want to kill anyone else. She wants to kill Supergirl. Hmm. I'm, I don't know much about the Bizarro um, characters from DC Universe because I'm not that big of a DC fan. But from what little I do know, they actually think they're good. It's just they kind of do things wrong. Yeah. Well, so this Bizarro uh, is similar to the Bizarro Girl of the comics. Yes. In the comics, Bizarro Girl uh, end up Bizarro Girl and Supergirl end up working with each other. Yes. So I guess it's a possibility this could happen. Um, however, Bizarro Girl in the comics is actually a creature from another planet created by the original Bizarro called yes. Bizarro World. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the show's not really going down that path. However. The similarities is Bizarro Girl is what this Bizarro is. Right. Um, I guess it's open for debate if they're really if this is actually going to be the one and only original Bizarro that's going to eventually create Bizarro Girl and the Bizarro Planet, or is this one just going to be Bizarro, Bizarro. Girl own, created but- by Max? So we'll see wh- wh- what they do with it. But the idea of Bizarro Girl and Supergirl possibly working together in a future episode in this season could. I think it's open. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about... Because it was pretty sweet that Supergirl was showing sympathy for her, her oh, lookalike. I mean, so that, I think that's kind of where they're kind of teasing that they might work together one day. That's who her character is. But let's talk about Kara's personal personal feelings falling apart. Obviously, Jimmy is um, uh, closed off from her now. Adam gone. Wynn gone. Cat is mad at her. Everything's going wrong, which is going to be setting us up for our next episode, which is uh, based off a... 
classic um, uh, story for Superman for the man who has everything. And I'm not going to give anything away, but it's pretty much obviously what's go- um, obvious a lot of what's um, going to be implied within the title. Yeah, uh, so the title is For the Girl Who Has Everything. Yes, that's episode 13. Which we will talk about next week, but obviously it's going to be coming at the lowest point of her life. Yeah, well, this episode ends it ends with that gremlin-like egg in her in her apartment that hatched, mm-hmm. um, you know, if... Uh, Attacks. Yeah, and... And that's where it ends, and that's where we'll leave it. You sure? We don't want to give anything away because obviously we, you and I have a little bit of knowledge of what. Because um, when it was announced they were going to adapt this story, a lot of stories came out. So how about we leave it there and get into in depth on uh, the Gremlin next week? Okay, that's fine. But I, I mean, we know what 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 is part of this egg. But I guess the bigger question, looking beyond next week's episode, is a villain called Mongol. Mm-hmm. Do you think? this villain would possibly tie into the storyline or not. In the comics, it does. I think they're going to try and have it tie into the storyline. Yeah. Because, you know, and this isn't really very spoiler-ish, uh, but Mongol is a villain who harvests these creatures that right. one of them is in Supergirl's apartment. Mm-hmm. We don't know if Mongol is behind this or will be part of this because this is a weird villain that's going to be very hard for them to do on this show because Mm -hmm. he's a very large alien creature. He's from another planet. And, you know, he's also designs these little egg creature things that we're going to get into next week. Yes. And they go after heroes. They go after Superman. They go after Green Lantern, which that's another thing I was thinking. Well, if they are going to go down this path, this could be a good tie-in for Superman to possibly make an appearance on Supergirl. You know, that'd be awesome to see, but that remains to be seen. I, I, I'm thinking next week is going to be mostly Kara in this coma that we saw in the teaser. Yes. Dealing with Fantasyland, Vanilla Sky, whatever it is if she's yes. in. Let us, let us leave it there and move on to well, our... Wait, one, quick, one, one quick piece of news. Yeah. In March. Yeah. Flash Supergirl crossover confirmed. Yes, um, we can uh, talk about that when um uh, when we get closer to it. What brings um Barry Allen to? Because he's going to Supergirl, so obviously that means he's going to end up in National City, and we can make our speculations on how he gets there later. But we talked about this last week, and now it is one hundred percent confirmed. The Flash will appear in National City in an episode called World's Finest. All right, moving on to another show we watch on a regular basis, The Flash, Fastlane, Season 2, Episode 12. We get introduced to a new villain, the Tar Pit, who's been apparently hiding underground for two years. That's a crappy way to hide. And boring, too, man. Boring. uh, I mean, I I look at our lives and how much fun we have on a regular basis, and I just like, can you imagine just sitting and doing nothing for two years? You're not going to have Twitter for two years? Oh, God, no. He stayed in good shape, though, for being underground for two years. Yeah, I mean, if I stayed um, underground for two years, I'd just be a big puddle of goo, which I suppose in some ways he was. Oh, and we've talked about this on the show before. So Cisco's T-shirts. Did you notice the shirt he was wearing this week? I did not. What was Space it? Space Invaders. Oh yeah, I love that game. And but yeah, you, you gotta love Cisco's T-shirts. But I have to say, I was largely uninspired with the villain of Tar Pit. But this um, episode, I did a lot of personal things for Harry Harrison Wells as he um, revealed that he was 
kind of working for Zoom to try and save his daughter. I mean, he flat out telegraphed it to Barry that I'll betray you. Don't trust me. And sure enough, but although when I first saw how much he took, I'm like, is that all he's going to do? He just take 2%? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Oh, he wants all of it. Well, uh-oh. Another thing I kind of was looking at is a lot of the teasing of Wally's obsession with speed. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the drag racing, the constant talking about wanting to be an astronaut and all this stuff. It's got me thinking, Brad. We've made predictions on here that we think Zoom is Barry Allen on Earth 2, but Mm -hmm. I could easily see Zoom being Wally on Earth 2. That could be him too, but I have another idea because I recently rewatched episode uh, season one of The Flash. Eddie Thawne, who gets pulled into the void at the end of season one, never really gets confirmed to be dead. He just gets pulled into the time vortex. That is true. He shoots himself, and you assume he dies, but you never really get the a doctor say like, "Well, he's dead at this time." So that is now one of my predictions, but this oh, was a- I found an Easter egg too, Brad. What's that? Coast City makes an appearance. Do you know where? Did you see it? No, I didn't. Where? So when the Wests are having pizza at the start of the episode, there's a pizza box on the table from Coast City, which is Green Lantern's home city. Um, I will. S- How about that Easter egg? Well, um, uh, they um, uh, had done that in the past. They, that just might have been, I am um, a uh, get you. But those might have been leftover pizza boxes from an episode in season one where he said, I picked this pizza up in Coast City, but who knows? They just might have, you might be 100% or it was an Easter egg. I just want to say one thing. You saw the promos for this all week of Iris getting just completely um, destroyed by a piece of glass. And then you see it in the episode, like, that's it. It just kind of grazed her shoulder. That's kind of annoying. I know it was so dramatic, like it was. And the commercial, it looks like it was gonna looked like it was gonna be just this huge piece that just kind of went boom right through her her in half. And you're like, that's why he has to go to Earth Two because he has to go somehow go to get Earth Two Iris and save Earth One Iris, and that's what I was thinking. But it's just like, eh, right in my shoulder. Well, perfect segue, Brad. Next week, we get to see Earth 2, Killer Frost, and Deathstorm, which is Caitlin and Ronnie on Mm. Earth 2. We're going to see them. Uh, That should be a good episode. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some other Easter eggs on that planet, I can't wait. I can't can't wait. I can't wait. But yes, episode of this week of The Flash was great. Lots of um, personal drama for Barry, for um, Harrison Wells, for all the um, uh, characters. Some of the action was a bit underwhelming, but they are now setting themselves up for a great episode next week as they go through the looking glass into Earth 2. I can't wait. And uh, Arrow is another uh, another episode this week. Brand new episode, Unchained. No relation to Van Halen's song, Unchained. Aww. Season 4, episode 12. I thought this was an action-packed episode. I thought oh, it, it was, was one of the better episodes. Roy Harper makes a return. Uh, mm-hmm. Tatsu Katana. Oh, yep. Asian girl. She oh, makes God. a return. I like that girl. Okay. <laughs> uh, so Dark's wife is going to run against Oliver for mayor? Yeah. Well, or until, That's kind I of guess. an interesting plot twist. Uh, yeah, but how can it? Uh, she's not going to win. She can have no support. No one knows her. Everyone knows who Oliver Queen is. And he's not doing a whole lot of campaigning, is he? No. Well, Seems he was, like he's just kind of... I think he's more, were, uh, more arrow playing and less campaigning. I think campaigning. they were um, uh, making a... Uh, alluded to he was running unopposed for mayor. Oh, okay. So, 
he doesn't have to do much when there's no one to run against. I, obviously, he will now. I can't wait for those debates. So we've seen Thea get really sick and basically go into a coma. So I think signs are starting to point to her being the person in the grave. Well, and maybe. if you think about it, if it's her that's in the grave, Roy's going to become a full-timer on the show again, being speedy again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe, you have to remember... But the um, uh, big um, stinger was at the end of this episode, and that was plot twist. the plot twist that if he wants to be able to save Thea, he only has to do one simple thing. Kill someone he kind of, sort of, trusts, doesn't trust. I mean, Dark Archer, obviously, is... You don't know where he really sides with um, the Arrow team, but... You don't dislike him. He's not your enemy. That's true. But he's also not your friend. Yeah. We'll see how that plays out. Also, another plot twist, uh, the calculator, which yeah. is the hacker trying to kill everyone in the city for reasons unknown. Well, that's Felicity's dad. Yes. And I guess the big question, though, is does he know that she's the other hacker trying to stop him? Yes. and she, He has to know, right? I don't know. And I do, I do love them with the fact that they make fun of, like, Okay, this is why villains can't pick their own names. And I'm just thinking, like, that's right. Where the hell is Cisco? Need him to um, uh, rename the calculator. Yeah, the calculator. What a horrible name. So, uh, yeah, a couple of good questions going into next week's episode, which we'll cover. Um, I think that'll do it for another episode of the uh, Hillcrest Duo. Uh, And uh, just a reminder, a couple things coming up on the duo. Walking Dead returns on February 14th. We will be talking about that. Gotham is back on February 29th. And as predicted here on the duo by me, Fish Mooney returning. Paul Rubin playing Penguin's father. Of course, Mr. Freeze. I'm really looking forward to Gotham. Oh, I forgot about Mr. Freeze. Yeah, and then Deadpool's opening up. We keep teasing that. We're excited to go see that. Yeah. Uh, we'll have a lot of that coming up. Also, we'll keep tabs on Arrow and Flash and... and Supergirl and, and everything Supergirl. else. And Maybe a you little Legends of Tomorrow. And you know what? We're also going to try and keep our eyes on um, uh, panel announcements for C2E2, which is coming up next month. That's Brad Risto. He's at Outsider Brad on Twitter. Bye-bye. I'm Metal John. I'm on at Metal John Radio on Twitter. And this has been episode number 21 of the Hillcrest Duo. We'll see you for episode 2-2.